excited to kick off the, the new series called 21 Days of Prayer, which is actually something we're doing. And so it's not just a series we're going to be preaching and talking about, but actually doing as a church. And we did this last year. We loved it so much. We just enjoyed uh, kind of kicking off the year this way. We decided to add uh, a few extra elements in terms of engagement. So here's three ways we'd love for you to engage uh, in this, okay? Um, we want you to pray and fast this year. And so um, we've uh, put a registration on the info.bar or on our website. You can go to you can go to it now and actually just pick a day, sometime in the 21 days, one day, multiple days, where you are willing to pray and fast. You can fast a meal, you can fast, you know, a day. If you're really new at it, you can fast like Netflix for the day or something like that, like, you know, something that's a challenge, okay? But, but adding fasting to praying really does kind of uh, do something very special for your individual prayer time. And what we want to do as a church in terms of corporately is we just want to cover all 21 days with as many journey partners as we can, uh, covering uh, our church and covering uh, individually through prayer, through the prayer prompts. We're also going to be praying together. All right, now that's going to be every morning over the next 21 days. So this morning, I led our prayer time at 8 o'clock on Sunday. We met over in the space, and I had a small group there, and we prayed uh, individually through the prayer prompts, but we also prayed for you. We prayed for the church. We prayed for what was going to happen this morning, that God would move powerfully uh, this morning through, uh, through all the things that we're doing, even in Kid Street. And so we just we wanted to pray, and we're going to do that every day. So Sundays is at 8 o'clock just 30 minutes. Uh, during the week, it's at 6.30, so it shouldn't interfere with school stuff. Uh, you should be able to get here and pray and then go to work. Uh, we feel like that's the best time. On Saturday, we're starting at 9. We'll do 9 to 9.30 because, you know, it's Lake Norman. So Saturday won't start till 9, and uh, that'll give you a little bit of time, and we'll start then, and hopefully you'll be able to still uh, enjoy most of your day. But you don't have to register for that. You can just come. Come be a part of that. We have hosts that are going to be here every single morning over the next 21 days and be a part of praying together. We also want you to pray for some individual things. And so uh, this morning you should have already received the email uh, that gives you the whole first week of prompts. Um, you also, if you want to do it through social media, which we challenge you to do, uh, Facebook and Instagram, um, you'll have a prompt every day over the next 21 days of individual things to pray for, which I'll walk you through at the end of the message uh, today. But my challenge to you is going to be to share that, to actually share that on your social media pages uh, with your circle, with your uh, friends and neighbors and people that follow you, and invite them to be a part of this time of prayer, to invite them to be a part of your uh, spiritual journey in terms of praying themselves. And so those are the three ways that we're really looking forward to see God just do an incredible thing through our church, through you individually, uh, over the 21 days. Uh, we're starting today with the, the concept, obviously it's a new year, and um, what's big about this year is just a fresh kind of spirit to it, like I don't know if, about you guys, but there just seemed to be a lot of conversation about the new year, the new decade, had a very clean slate kind of feel to it, um, that anything is possible. You know, we're out of 2000 teens, we're, we're in, the, we're, now, we're now 2020, I've heard a lot of things about vision and clarity for your life, and it's been really cool. And a big phrase sometimes used is this new year, new you. How many have heard that before? Yeah, new year, new you, right? The new you. And the new you is usually be done through a, a process of what we call uh, a resolutions, okay? Resolutions, new year resolutions. And I pulled just the top 10. Could be anything like this. Maybe yours is uh, specific to you. But these are just general top 10 resolutions. All good things. Lose some weight. Spend less money. Good. Vacation, yes. Getting healthy. Learn something new. Quit smoking. That's a, probably a good one, right? Um, getting organized, falling in love, more family time. I think all these things are good. These are all good things, but 
The problem is that the New Year's resolution kind of system is, is typically, you already know this, it's, it's kind of broken, right? Doesn't really seem to get the effect we wanted to see. Matter of fact, it says that only really 20% of resolution makers report achieving a significant long-term change in their life. Meaning the 80%, the majority, might see a, a little quick spurt of like victory or success in something they're trying, but it doesn't actually change anything. It doesn't actually result, if you will, in that new you or that thing you're, you're hoping for. Now, uh, there's another stat that I want. I want to just go ahead and ask, are there any serious goal makers in the room? Raise your hand if you are. It's okay. Be proud. Okay. You, you write down your goals. You bury them in the yard. Okay. That's the kind of person you are. Like you're going you're gonna to achieve them, right? The problem is even with goal makers, only 8% of goal makers actually achieve their goals. Goals as written, right? It can't be one of those things where like, well, I wanted to make enough money to buy a new Ferrari this year, but, you know, I bought a used Camry instead. So that's kind of the same, you know, and that's, that's not the same, right? So only 8% real goal, you actually get the goal, get the thing they're actually uh, striving for. So we know that the system is kind of broken in terms of the goals and the resolutions and uh, this year, in terms of starting this series, I want to just kind of challenge you to ask a different question, okay? Ask a different question. And there's the question I want you to ask. What if you didn't spend 2020 trying to fix the old you, but rather began living in the new you, right? Because the new you is the goal. New year, new you. But what if, what if instead of trying to tweak a few things about your life or your, your habits or whatever the case is that you're wanting to kind of tweak and change, what if instead of trying to spend time on that, fixing the old you, what if you actually just began living out of the new you? And the reason I say that is because we see in Scripture, Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, writes and uses very similar language to all the churches that he writes to. He writes, he uses a very similar idea of this new you idea to all the churches in terms of their faith. So I'll just read you a few of them. He writes to the church in Corinth. He says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a, and read the two words out loud, read it out loud, became a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. This is a verse that's used in our vision as a church. Our vision as a church is that we, the transformed people, right? That's this idea of a new person. We're transformed people who are changing their friends' lives by absolute hope. If you go on, he, he actually says to the church in Ephesus, this isn't what you learned about Christ since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off the old sinful nature and former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your, read the two words out loud. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. He says to the church in Colossus, he says, don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off this old sinful nature again, and all its wicked deeds. Put on your, what's the words? New nature, and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become more like him. In this, what's the words? In this new life. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and lives in all of us. It doesn't matter of your race. It doesn't matter your stature. It doesn't matter the pecking order of society where you think you belong. Christ is all that matters in the new life and the new you. 
He writes to the church in Galatia. He says, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. It doesn't matter the rules or whatever thing you subscribe to or ascribe to. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a, what's the two words? A new creation. New creation, new person, your new nature, a new life. This is all language that Paul is using to describe what has been given to us through Christ. Meaning that because of the work of Christ in our life, through just our faith alone, we already have a new you. We already have a new creation that we've been given by God. And that's our new you. And so when I ask the question, what if you, you, know, didn't, you know, didn't spend any time working on trying to fix the old you, but rather you began to live through, and as we're going to talk about the series, pray through and pray from a place where, it's re- where you actually have this transformative renewing of your mind, where you actually understand who you are in Christ as a new you, as a new creation, as a new person your new nature, and you have new life. So the question then goes, well, how does that look? How do I live from that? How do I pray from that position? That's a good question. It's the only thing we're going to tackle today, because we know the truth that the Word of God tells us that this is true. So it's not an issue of, you know, finding love this year or trying to find a job that aligns with your passion and interest. It's not about you losing 15 pounds. Okay? It's not about you just achieving more success this year than you did last year. That's not going to bring out a new you when the new you that we have from Christ has already been given to us. So how do we do this? How do we live from it? How do we engage it right now? We didn't even have to wait to a new year to do it. But, it's, but it is a new year. It's the start of this 21 days. How do we do it? Well, I want to look again at Paul's letters. I'm going to talk about the, the, the letter he wrote to a church in Rome. And that to me, Romans, this, this document that we have, this letter that Paul wrote to the church, the Christians in Rome, it's one of the most powerful documents in the New Testament. And a portion of that, this, this chapter as we call it, that's part of this letter, is right in the middle and it's right kind of dividing a great deal of theological understanding of sin and life and what God did on your behalf and, and then kind of the practical application of what, it, what does it look like for you? What does it look like in terms of how you live and how you uh, walk this earth? So chapter 8 has this, I mean, just, I would say it this way. If you don't read the Bible that often, that's not already a spiritual discipline in your life. Obviously, we're working on prayer. Prayer is a big deal. We want that to be a core spiritual discipline in your life. That's why we're doing the 21 days of prayer. But if you've not read very often, then maybe right before you pray, I would even just challenge you. You could read Romans 8 every day. Every day, the 39 verses in Romans 8. You could read it every single day. And I'm telling you, just from the truth of the Word of God in Romans 8, you could have a radically different 2020 just by reading Romans 8 every single day. And even if you're like, well, I don't understand what it all means, that's fine. We're going to go through it today. That's what's going to be the benefit of the day. You're actually going to hear some of what some of those verses are saying and what they mean for you and for me in terms of embracing this new creation, this new life, this new person, this new you that many of us long to be and to experience. 
So it starts off this way. I'll read through a few verses. I'm not going to be able to read it all. I'm going to try to cover as much as I can, but walk you through the themes, if you will, of this part of the, of the, of the letter. It says, so now there is no condemnation to those who belong to Christ Jesus. Again, first seven chapters were all about sin and what Christ has done to redeem us and to save us and to do this work. So this statement comes from this huge, uh, you know, huge sort of lecture, if you will, of helping them understand the fullness of this theology and says, because of that, so now there's no condemnation to those who belong to Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save, right? This is their religion, their rules. He said the law of Moses was unable to save them, save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And he did this so the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead now follow the Spirit. See, the first few verses are sort of paramount to everything else he's going to talk about in, in Romans 8. And that is the reality that, that, that if you have made this surrendered um, decision to Christ, that there is a promise for you, that there is a life for you, this new life, this new creation. This, listen, none of this applies to those who are sitting on the fringe of Christianity still trying to figure things out. None of this applies to those who are trying to receive the benefits of church and the benefits of a Christian faith without surrendering their heart to Jesus. This is only to those, you'll see this often in in, in chapter 8, to those who are in Christ. Because if you are in Christ, then he now lives in you. And it's very important to see that. But the benefit, the the promise right out of the gate, the difference maker right out of the gate is the fact that he says that if that's you... You are free. You are completely free. There is no more guilt. There is no more shame. There is no more condemnation from others. And there should be no more self-condemnation because you have received all the work of Christ on your behalf. You are free. And maybe that needs to be somebody's word for the years, freedom. Because you've never, ever, ever lived your Christian life from this understanding that you not only are a new creature and a new creation, but you're free. You've lived with guilt and shame and condemnation and self-condemnation for so long that it actually feels like it's a part of you. And that's why he says, you've got to take that old nature and discard it. You've got to put it aside. You've got to take it off and put on the new nature. Put on your new self, the new you, because the new you, there is no condemnation for you. He'll start uh, chapter 8 this way, and he will end chapter 8 this way, that there is no condemnation that can stand against you. Why? Because he freed you. He freed you from the control of sin in your life. See, those who do not have a relationship with Jesus do not have any other choice but to live a life controlled by sin. Think of controlled by sin like 
you know, like the, the guy behind the curtain in the Wizard of Oz. You know what I'm talking about, right? Could kind of pull in the levers and control. That's what he's talking about. He's like, that's the language he's using in the imagery. You are no longer controlled by sin. He has freed you by the power of Christ. He has freed you from power of sin that leads to death. And then he goes on and says in verse 5, he says, those who are dominated by sinful nature, they think about sinful things. And those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about the things that please the Spirit. Understand, even though you are a Christian, even though you have surrendered your life to Christ, even though you are free of guilt and shame and condemnation, the thoughts still come. Can anybody say amen to that at all? Okay, all right, you're with me. The thoughts still come. The desires are still there. But you do not have to be controlled by it. There is a constant fight in you every day over control. And yet we have the option to not be controlled by our, sinful, by our old self, but to put on the new self, to put on the new person, to be the new you, to live out of the new you. He goes on in verse 9, he says, but you are not controlled, again, by the sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. If you have the Spirit of God living in you. And that's a huge, never underestimate those, those words. If the Spirit of God lives in you, then you don't have to, to, to be slave to sin anymore. Like that's the, the power he's talking about. Matter of fact, he goes on to say that Christ lives in you even though your body will die because of sin. It's going to happen. Your sp the Spirit gives you life beyond the body because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Okay. Now, understand, this goes back to some of the theology, right? We're talking about the Spirit of God lives in you. Okay? It's not like a law firm. He's not a junior partner Okay, in terms of a version of God. This is the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. This is God's Spirit. This is the fullness. Understand, when he, Paul makes it clear, the same Spirit that resurrected our Savior is the same Spirit that lives in you. I don't think we fully grasp that. See, when we pray, even when we're praying, we oftentimes pray with distance in our minds. We pray to a God that is miles away. We pray to a God that's there, that's deity, that's, that's powerful, but yet not, not present, but he's there. So we pray and we're asking him to intervene and to step in and to help me with this thing or to help with this issue. And yet the reality is, is that everywhere we read in terms of the spirit of God in us, the power of God in us, Christ living in us, has to do with the fact that he is not distance. Like distance does not even translate in terms of his relationship with you. And the best visual I can give you is that really he is closer than your skin. That's where he resides. He is closer than your skin. So when you pray, you don't look up into the sky. You don't pray with sort of a distance in your mind. You pray like this, like you're thinking and talking to yourself. How many talk to yourself at all? Yeah? Okay? Okay? Guess what? That's what you do because he exists right here. The fullness of the power of God is closer than your skin to you at all times. That should change the way you pray. That should change the, th the thoughts you have in terms of 
why it is that we no longer pray with a distance in mind like, like they did in the Old Testament, sort of crying out to God into the sky for a fog to come down. That's not the way it works anymore. He rests right here in us. He keeps going. He says, you've never received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received your God spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we're God's children. And since we are his children, we are heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. This is what he's talking about in terms of the spirit, this power, that it's going to outlast your body, right? It's going to outlast your body. Now, I, I, this isn't a really positive part of this message, but just to, want you to know that I don't care if you lose 15 pounds and get healthier. I think that's fantastic. You're going to be more dead at the end of 2020 than you are right now, just to let you know, okay? That's what Scripture tells us. Like, you're going to be more dead, all right? So I, I'm not saying you don't take care of yourself and you don't, you know, try to be a good steward of your temple, but I'm saying that, you know, don't think you're going to solve this or escape this when he says that this is what's going to happen. Your body is limited, but the life that God gives you is unlimited. This power, this life, this new you that exists because now you're a child of God. I'll tell you a quick story, um, just kind of a visual. This is the one I come up with in my mind. Um, I, I, I don't very know very much about cars. I'm 44 years old, and I still don't know very much about cars. And when I was 19, I knew even less. Everybody with me? And I had a, drove a Volkswagen Rabbit. How many remember a Volkswagen Rabbit? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You all with me? So I had a Volkswagen Rabbit, and, I, and it was a diesel. And I had a hard time, you know, getting it started in the winter. Because I moved up to North Carolina. I married Tracy, and just had a hard time getting it started in the winter. And I really got frustrated, okay, in the mornings trying to get this thing started in the cold weather. And I had read something about cold cranking amps on batteries, so this very person, this unexperienced person who doesn't know anything about cars, walked into like an auto zone. Y'all picture the auto zone, right? Walked into the auto zone, and I looked at all the batteries, and I walked down to this section, and I saw a battery that said 25,000 cold cranking amps, okay? Now, I didn't, didn't know it at the time. I think I looked at my, my battery. It was like 300 or something like that, you know? And I looked at it, and I was like, I want that battery, now, the very inexperienced salesperson didn't ask me what car I had, okay? They didn't offer to do it for me. This is before all that customer service jazz, right? This is like, you want that battery? Done, $180, here you go. Take the battery. I took the battery out to my car. I took the old battery out. I put the new battery in. Now, just to let you understand, the size of this battery, because it was for a tractor, <laughs> the small square that the battery fit in, the battery that I bought barely fit on a third of the section of where that battery should be. And I thought, that's fine. So I just bungee corded it in to the front of my car. Guess who didn't have any more problems starting his car in the winter? I didn't realize it then, because that car was going to be gone. I think that battery lasted the entire, I never had to replace that battery. But that battery could have powered 37 Volkswagen rabbits. <laughs> and that's sometimes what I struggle with when it comes to understanding the power of God that lives in us because we are now his kids. We are joint heirs with Christ. Because for you and for me, we don't, we don't get this like small subsection and doled out little bit of power that he wants to give you. Like, like parents with children, they can't be responsible enough 
We have the fullness of the power of God because of that, that, that adoption, that, that joint heir with Jesus that is going to outlast our bodies. It's going to outlast our current form of energy and, and strength because it comes from him. We're at the table with God. I mean, you remember like Thanksgiving when there's like the kids' table and the adult table, you know what I'm talking about? And the kids' table is like that dirty card table that no one used all year long. You go out and wipe it down right before the kids, you know, eat their food off it. We sometimes as Christians believe that even with our best effort, we are still at the kids' table. And that's not how it works. We are joint heirs, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. The fullness of the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. It will outlast your body. It will outlast your strength. It will outlast your emotions. It will outlast your mental capacity. It will outlast everything if you choose to tap into that power. That's what we are promised. So even just this first half, I think would change your entire year if you really believe this was true, that you're free. No more shame, no more guilt, no more condemnation. Doesn't matter what your childhood looked like. Doesn't matter what last year looked like. It doesn't matter what last, this past New Year's Eve looked like for you. You're free. The control of sin no longer controls you. God now lives in you, and you are heirs with Jesus. Now, Paul continues, because he's going he's to a whole rest of the chapter to talk about, but he wants to address the reality that the majority of us often face and live in. And he wants to do it in such a way that builds off of what he's already spoken about. So he starts in verse 15. Sorry, I'm going to start in 18, where he says, the suffering, what we suffer now, is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. Paul's very, he understands the reality of the fact that we're going to be suffering. There's going to be hardships, there's going to be pain, there's going to be sickness and illness and addiction and heartbreak and betrayal and depression. We're going to have all of these things. He says, yet, he wants you to understand before he begins to express how God deals and sees with that, he wants you to understand, listen, compared to what God has done for you and is going to do for you, the current suffering you're dealing with is like a speck of grain of sand compared to the beach. It's not even worth mentioning. It's not even worth, you know, it's not even belong in the same sentence is what he's trying to say. He's just trying to give that picture. But then he has to explain that we know, we know that all creation's been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Sin has affected this earth. And we believers, we also groan, right? Even though we have the Holy Spirit, we have him within us as a foretaste of future glory. We long for our bodies to be, say the word, released. We long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Anyone else want to say amen to that? Yeah, that's true. We all long to be released from the grieving of lost loved ones, from the addictions, from the suffering, from the illnesses, from the cancer, from the heartbreak. We want to, we want to be released from it. And he goes on to say, we too wait with eager hope for the day that when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including, including, praise God, the new bodies that he's promised us. 
See, listen, Paul's not denying that we're going to be in the mess. He's not denying the heartbreak and pain and illness and, and sickness and disease and, and depression and mental. He's not denying that all of that is going to be a part of our lives. He just wants you to understand, compared to what God has done, it is nothing. He's not trying to deny it. He's not trying to say it doesn't exist. He just wanted to put it in perspective. And that we long for this. Yes, we do. And yet, God is going to faithfully walk through that with us and has a plan for it. Listen, guys, for most of us, we struggle. And the reason we struggle with our current sufferings and hardships is because we are so fixed and focused on the now versus the then. And the then is whenever and whatever God chooses to do when he chooses to do it. But because we're so fixed on the now, we read scripture in the now. We, we look at God's promises in the now. And we, can, we get really frustrated because we don't know what God's doing right now, and he's supposed to be doing all these things and fixing everything now compared to, again, the glory that's going to be revealed to us then. And that's one of the, what's one of the hardest things for, for believers to kind of get their mind around is that there is a now and there is a then. And much of what we read in Scripture is a then promise and fulfillment that we get to experience some of it now. But the promises aren't always for the now. And yet, we did a, a series uh, a couple years ago, I think three years ago, called Fracture. That talked about those breaking points, those fractures in our life that tend to leave a mark. And we talked about the fact that, listen, there is no fracture, there's nothing that God will not help you bear, heal, and redeem. I don't know what order he's going to do that in. I don't know which one's going to come first. I don't know what's going to be in the now, and I don't know what's going to be in the then, but I can tell you and promise you that based on his word, on his promises to us, there is nothing you're dealing with that he's not going to help you bear. He's not going to heal, and he's not going to redeem for his purposes. How does he do that? Well, one of the ways is in chapter 8. This is amazing. It says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, in our struggles. For example, we don't know what, to, what God wants us to pray for sometimes. Anybody ever been there? You don't know what to pray? You don't know how God wants you to pray for something? But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. It goes on and says, and the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's will. If you actually believe this, listen, if you could really wrap your minds around the fact that in your mess, in your struggle, in your hardships, and the things you're going through, that God himself, through the Spirit of God in you, is actually praying for you, pleading for you, hurting for you, loving with you, crying with you, grieving with you, yet praying for you and pleading for you. So when you sit there with, a, with, a, with, a, with the enemy wanting to whisper those hopeless thoughts and those things that where God is not for you, but he's against you because you don't see him doing anything in the now. The spirit of God in you is actually praying for you 
on his knees, pleading, sometimes even without words, because God understands all hearts, and he understands what the Spirit is saying, and he is praying for you, those he foreknew, those he predestined, it goes on to say, to become more and more like the image of his son, according to his will, is what it means. He's praying for you. So maybe you, maybe you put something on Twitter, woe is me, this is the worst year, whatever, you know, and, and a few people responded, oh, we'll pray for you, you're going to make it, it's okay. Before you start worrying about how many people are or are not praying for you, would you move into the truth that the Word of God says that God is actually praying for you? God, through His Spirit, is actually praying for you? Do you really need anyone else to pray for you? If the Holy Spirit of God and the power that raised Christ from the dead is praying and pleading for you? Oh, he's going to help you bear and heal and redeem all of those sins, all of those weaknesses, all of those hardships. He also does this. We know that God works everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, most of us like the first half of this verse, and it's often misused, right? We know that God causes all things to work together for good, period. Bumper sticker, right? Great. Email, email signature. Yay. He's going to work all things, because that's a now part. You know, we read it with the now. God's going to work it all out for our good. Now. Well, I can promise you, there's too many times in my life, and, and when I'm sitting in the middle of the mess and going, God, what in the world? Do you even know what you're doing in the now right now? Do you even know? Are you even paying attention? And yet the fullness of that verse says, no, no, no. God's going to do what only God can do because God can take our highs, our, our, our extraordinary experiences, and he can take our brokenness and our weakness and our struggles and our hardship, and only he can take the two of them and put them together and breathe purpose into them. That's only what God can do. We're so fixed on the now. And even if we think about the then, we're still struggling with the now. And we have to understand that verse that he's going to work it all out. We sang it this morning. He's never going to stop working. We just may not see it. Even when we don't see that you're working. Even though we don't feel it. Even though we don't know what's happening in the now. Because that's where our eyes are so fixed on. He never stops working all things together. For our good and for the purpose of God's will for our life. Never stops. And then the crescendo of this part of the letter. Because, I mean, he's just unfolded so much in terms of how much God has done for you, how much he loves you, how much he is praying for you and pleading for you and giving you power and giving you everything you ever needed. And you're no longer slaves. You're no longer controlled. You're free. The crescendo comes as he just sort of puts an exclamation point on every single one of the things he just talked about. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, let's just read those four words out loud. If God is for us, let's read it again. God is for us. Let's read it like we actually believe it's true. Ready? If God is for us, ooh, who can ever be against us? Right on, Matt. Tell me. 
If God is for you, what are you worried about? If God is for you, what in the world does 2020, what, what is in the world in 2020 makes you nervous? You're not, you're concerned about, you're worried about, you've got fear about, you've got uncertainty about. If God is for you and you believe that, who could possibly be against you? Exclamation point. Go again. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, wouldn't he also give you everything else? This is Paul's way of saying, yeah, God sent his son to die for you, to be a sacrifice for you, to pay the full and final debt for you. If there was anything else you needed, don't you think he would give it to you? He's already given you everything through Christ. If there was more, don't you think that God would do it? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. No one. Who dare condemns us? Who dare accuses us? Who's going to put that guilt and shame on your life? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. You know what Paul is saying there? He's saying there is no loophole. It's a closed circle. God himself has made you right with himself. There's no one else involved. There's no other way it can, that it can fail. There's no other way for it to be a problem. It is a closed circle. God chose what to do. He chose you. You received him. And now he has made you right with himself. So nothing can separate you from God. That's what he goes on to say. Who then will condemn us? No one, right? For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. You are free. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? That's what he, he just gets to this point and says, is there any way that we could be separated, that this could not be true for us? Does it mean he no longer loves us when we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger? or threatened with death, or cancer, or sickness, or depression. You just go down the list, okay? Disease, lost loved ones, lost jobs, failed careers, failed marriages. Is there, is there, does it mean he doesn't love you? He goes on to say no. Because despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. Who loves us? Again, the new life and the new you is through Christ who loves you. That's not you, it's him. And so he says problems are going to happen, hardships are going to come. You're going to have these issues. Where, you know, the suffering is real. We're going to long and groan to be released from it. But we have a hope that's greater than that because God's at work with a purpose that's greater than the now. So who's going to condemn you? Who's going who's to separate you from this promise, from this truth of the word of God? No one. No one can. And just because you're experiencing the mess right now doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Despite all those things, maybe in light of all those things is what he's saying, because it's going to happen, you still have an overwhelming victory in Christ. And then he goes on. I'm convinced, and just these words are so important. 
Because it doesn't matter how inspiring a message is, and it doesn't matter how good Romans 8 makes you feel, and it doesn't really matter whether or not you for this moment go, yes, that's fantastic, I want that to be true. Then what matters is that two weeks from now, one week from now, one year from now, when you are in a struggle, when you are in a hardship, when you are just using all your strength and your energy to try to please God because you've forgotten that you are a new creation, that you belong to him, the problem is that you may not actually still be convinced of this. And the only reason these words matter, the only reason these words were breathed into this book and this letter is because Paul was convinced He was convinced that it was true. Absolutely convinced. There is nothing that can ever separate us from God's love. And he goes on to give some examples. Death can't. Life can't. But why are those first? Well, because sometimes, you know, people saw death as the problem. However, sometimes people see death not as the problem, but as the solution. There are many people in this room who at one time in their life thought death was the easier solution. It was the easier, quicker answer because life was the problem. Living was the issue, not death, but living. So he has to tell them, listen, neither whatever you think is the bigger problem, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, whichever one you think is more powerful, neither fears for today or worries tomorrow because they're going to happen, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Then he continues. There's no power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, again, comprehensive. Nothing in all creation, meaning everything, nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so here's your list. How do we, go to the, go to the list, how do we pray and really believe that we're a new creation. How do we live from this and pray through this, even over the next 21 days? I guarantee you, if you actually believed one of these things, it could radically change your year. Let alone Romans 8 is filled with even more than this. This is just all I could fit into the message. You're free. Sin doesn't control you. God lives in you. You're heirs with Christ. Your now is nothing compared to your then. He is always at work, never stops working for your good. Nothing can ever separate you from God because God is for you. He is for you. And if you really do believe that you are a new creation, then this year really has nothing to do with what you think you can do for God. Sometimes that happens in our new year. Even some of our resolutions can be God-like or spiritual. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to do more. I'm going to, do, I'm going to get more involved. I'm going to do some things. That's great. You know, you want to do all those things. The problem is that sometimes you want to do all those things to achieve something for God, from God, when God has done all the work for you. He has done everything for you. It's not an issue of you achieving something or striving for something to get something. It's an issue of you receiving and surrendering to what he's already done for you. Matter of fact, in Romans 12, and I'm going to read the the message paraphrase of Romans 12, because I just like the the, the simple way he describes it in verse 1. 
But this is how we respond to Romans 8. He says, I want you to, here's what I want you to do. God helping you, I want you to take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, and you're eating, and you're going to work, and you're walking around life. And I want you to place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God has done for you is the best thing you can do for him. Everybody get that? Getting to a place where you can say that I'm convinced that nothing can separate me from God's love. Getting that, embracing what he has done to make you the new you that you are is the best thing you can do for him by surrendering your life. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your eyes and your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. This is that transformation, that renewing we talked about. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. That's your life. That could be your 2020. Being a new you, already the new you that God wants you to be. Transformed by the power of God that lives inside of you. That you're walking around and you're every day sleeping and eating and functioning and walking around and parenting and marriaging and all the other things you do, right? That you recognize what God wants you to do and you quickly do it. And you recognize what God wants you to do and you do it. And you recognize what God wants you to do and you respond to it. That's it. That's what it looks like. And so the prompt for today, if you've already seen it on social media, is this. It's that verse from 2 Corinthians that we're the transformed people of God. We become a new person. The old life is gone. The new has begun. We want you to pray that God would remind you that you are a new creation. That God would remind you today, not just through the message, but in your heart, that you would really believe it. That this new year, new you, has already happened if you've surrendered your heart and life to Jesus. What would change for you this year? To begin to pray from that position, to be able to live from that position. Let's pray together. Father God, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that your word is true. And God, I confess right now, just for my own self, that, that even as we were praying this morning as a group, that, um, that for me, with this prayer prompt, that I, I too often find myself exhausted, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, at the end of a day or at the end of a week or at the end of a season. And sometimes I, I, I realize it too late that I am really trying to work within my own power. I'm trying to work out of my own strength. And that sometimes I forget that the power of you lives in me, that, that this power that outlasts me, that outlasts my abilities lives in me, that I have the ability to draw from every single moment of every single day. So God, I just confess to you now that that's, that's the way I want to enter this year really believing and really remembering quickly every day what you've done for me, what you want me to do, and just quickly respond to it, to lay that life down every single day, my normal, ordinary life, because of all that you've done for me. God, I pray that for everybody in this room today, that if they didn't walk away with anything else today, I want them to walk away with the fact that, they, that you are for them and everything that that entails. And if they could fully believe that today, 
Oh, God, what a difference you could make in their life. We thank you, Jesus, for your word, and we pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.